Well, here we are. We have a game in the books. Iowa is undefeated. Offense scored some touchdowns. It looks like uh, Hawkeyes have a quarterback. Uh, welcome to episode four of 12 Saturdays, version 2.0. I'm here with Joel Prasauer, as usual. Our uh, 12 Saturdays podcast got the, the first game in the books, a little hot Saturday action in Kinnick Stadium. Uh, Joel, the fans don't seem super happy, at least the ones that like to pontificate upon Twitter and other social platforms. But I don't know. I kind of liked what I saw. What'd you think? I was pretty pleased for a week one matchup. You mean you could tell that there was an injured quarterback on the field for the Hawkeyes, and that's a little un uneasy. Um, I really liked what I saw from Cade, though. I thought the pass protection was solid. I thought they did a good job of of keeping him upright. The ones, the two sacks uh, were a minimal impact type plays, and he saw him coming so he could prepare and kind of get down for it. Uh, running the ball, obviously, you've got to improve that, and that's yeah. And Utah State really sold out to do that, and I'm going to talk maybe in some greater detail about that uh, later. But I think the question the way I want to maybe ask, and I think some other people are asking, is I think we need to look six weeks from now and see if Utah State might actually be good. Well, I'll tell you this. I was so impressed with their coach because that game had all the hallmarks of the early season blowout. I mean, when Iowa was up 14-0, the beach balls were out, the crowd was screaming, uh, you know, things were – they were making – uh, procedural penalties they were having all kinds of problems but you know kudos to their coach he 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 called them up he calmed them down and he got them to put their heads back in the game and and they made a, a little bit of a game of it i mean i don't think there was ever any doubt that iowa was going to lose and i feel that that also contributed to some of the problems uh problems in quotes on the offense because i'm not sure iowa i feel like iowa really went super vanilla after they got up double digits because they felt there really was no way Utah State was going to come back. But I was impressed with Utah State's quarterback and their coach particularly. You know, there's not a lot that's going to happen on a sideline on a Saturday that's going to flap Blake Anderson when you read his story and see all that he's been through. He lost his wife to cancer a few years ago, and then shortly after that, his oldest son committed suicide. Like, that guy has been through a lifetime the last five years, and I got to imagine this coaching football is just you know, it's a piece of cake for him. It's mm -hmm. just, I, it's just where you can just be in a, in a joyful place. And I can, we, my, my seats are not far behind the Utah state bench. And you can see that team was a confident, a confident and competent team. And I know they have a lot of turnover, but I think in this new world of the transfer portal, I think if you go out and find the right guys, like I think Iowa has done as far as they can come in culturally and fit in together, you can, not miss a beat and Utah state may be in that situation as well. Uh, and they also built a game plan that was low risk. There was a lot of quick throws, a lot of opportunities for them to not let Iowa play to its strengths defensively, which is to get after the quarterback and pass rush and hit the quarterback and create errant passes, which turn into turnovers. And right. kudos to them for, for finding a way to, to challenge this Iowa defense that for the most part, with the exception of the one long touchdown drive in the fourth quarter, answered the bell at every turn. Well, that's one of the beautiful things about the way Iowa plays defense, isn't it? That, yeah, you can dink and dunk them, 
but then you're going to have to execute perfectly for like 15 plays and good luck getting into the end zone with a touchdown in the red zone because they're going to clamp down on you. Or you can try to do longer development plays and big plays, and then you're going to get your ass sacked. So, you know, <laughs> you're damned if you do, and damned if you don't against that Iowa defense. And again, I think that was a big factor in why Iowa's offense looked a little hinky-jinky. Um, you know, you you coached football. Um, if Iowa, with the way they were protecting the pass and the way Cade was getting the ball out, they could have thrown the ball all around the yard all day, I think. But it looked to me like they were really trying to work on some specific things in the run game maybe specifically things they're not so great at. And I think that kind of showed. And I think that you have to, because they haven't had a lot of practice reps to do it. It sounds like you got to sometimes, you you know, challenge and, and run some plays against when the bullets are flying. And what I saw that I haven't seen really maybe since since the last quarterback who wore number 12 for the Hawkeyes, Ricky Stanzi, is a guy who quickly works through his progressions yeah now now ricky sometimes would hold the ball too long uh, but you could still see him working through the progression uh mcnamara was flying through his progressions and and getting working. the ball out like that that yeah. was one of the first notes i put for for writing my column this week is wow what a difference it is when you see a quarterback that has pocket poise confidence and the ability just to get that ball out of his hand and you know that that's the thing i'm most excited about but to your point joel we got to keep this guy upright i don't like you know we're again recording on tuesday night press conference was today with the head coach and he basically let slip this might be a season-long hassle this quad injury and i i that was the one kind of like cold water on me this week i i i i I don't like that i also wonder how much gamesmanship that is yeah too yeah. a little bit i you know we, we we've talked about kirk ferentz and you know he's the king of the say nothing and say a lot at the same time press conference answer you know it's funny that we complain that we get a that's football and we get a story from 1988 and kirk doesn't tell us anything but then when he says something like that we view it with a completely different set of reverence. It's like, oh no, the sky's falling. Well, maybe he's just telling us nothing with that comment too. I mean, yeah, there, I think you can't, it's possible that both things can be true, but it's also possible that nothing that he said is really true. Just like the death chart is really this mythological nothing that comes out every Tuesday. <laughs> like we both- three things Three things we know about Kate McNamara. One, he did no rollouts. Two, they did no quarterback sneaks, and boy, could they have used one to go up three scores. And three, the guy kind of gimped up after one of those sacks. So clearly it's not 100% yet. I guess the question is how long is it going to be, or is this going to be a lingering thing for the season? Well, you know what? I think that's where you get Sneak and Deacon coming in if you get yes. quarterback sneak. You got a 6'5", 260-pound quarterback. And guess what? You know what's coming, boys. Yeah, we don't care. We don't care. You can't. You can't stop it. And I, hopefully, we see that. And he got some meaningful snaps. And I think yeah. that was always the plan was for him to get meaningful snaps once the game kind of got into into control. Uh, the tw- so the twenty four points. Let me let me just say this: the people around me in Kinnick Stadium on Saturday who were pissed 
were pissed because of their own personal gambling debt and their own personal bets that they had made because they were so mad about the 23 and a half points that they had bet on or the over under that they had bet on or at, at what point is guess what boys and girls your gambling is not Brian Ferentz's responsibility. Yeah, no, no, nobody cares. Players, coaches, well, maybe yeah. some of the players that are betting, they might care. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of those going into this game this week. Um, no, so, so. Uh, you know, to me, Joel, the the twenty five points a game thing is at this point after what Beth Getz said, the interim AD, and I mentioned this in the Tuesdays with Torby column this week. She basically said that it was uh, she she counts winning more importantly than points. And if this team goes 10 and two or 11 and one, or God forbid undefeated, and they do it by winning every game 23 to six, nobody's going to get fired. Nobody's going to lose their contract. Nobody's going to get a demotion. It's it's winning. You play to win the game. And if that's a winning formula for Iowa, then Let's do it. Let's go for it. I got no problem with it. And I think the thing is, is if if it mattered, you would have seen one of the biggest a-hole moves in the history of college Kick football. The field goal. And Iowa would have rolled the field goal team out yeah. there with six seconds to go wow. and the, from the 13-yard line and kicked the kicked the field goal to go t- to score 27 points. All right. And- so we've talked about what a nice guy Kirk Ferentz is, how dignified and all that. But you know that he's got a little bit of that uh, arrogance in him just from, you know, you don't get to the position he's in without it. So are you, I, I have this kind of weird feeling that nothing would make Kirk Ferentz happier than to go 12 and zero and average 24 points a game. Like part of him would just love that without even having to say a word. And he, especially because they were given the perfect foil of, you know, Blake Anderson going full on PJ Fleck and calling his three timeouts, you know, you know, and, and that's at the end of that game there to try to, to attack on another score. You know, that three timeout call, Iowa comes down, kicks the field goal, and they could say, listen, they were playing till the end of the game. We're playing yeah. till the end of the game, yeah. too. So it would have been it would have been fun to see. But I know analytically, here was the thing that I was really, really happy to see. So last season with the old clock rules, which remember these new clock rules are supposed to shorten the game and limit offenses a little bit. Uh, we saw Clemson dramatically affected by yeah. the, clock, the clock rules on Monday night. So Iowa last year averaged 58 plays per game and they got 68 offensive plays uh, wow, that's like Fran McCaffrey level uh, offensive tempo. Yeah, so or six, they had sixty nine total plays on offense nice. uh, on Saturday. So, and they averaged four point one two yards per play, which I know in the four yards in the cloud of dust era, you know that's what you get. You get four yards three plays in a row. That is what Tori twelve and point three. And that's a first down, right? That is. So it's one of those. A little extra. So, but the thing is, is Iowa had 10 more plays than they averaged last year. And that four points a play. So technically in in one small sample size, that's 40 yards. 40 yards to the Iowa offense is a field goal. 
really. Yep. Drew with Drew Stevens range and the average field position, I think was the 27 yard line that Iowa started. So if you really want to get money ball, that was my you know initial analysis. The other thing was, is they scored a touchdown 75 or 50% of the time in the red zone. Yes. Um, and they, they scored 75% of the time and that field goal drive that they had at the end of the first half, three consecutive plays, touchdowns were dropped. Luke Lachey yes. catches that pass, he scores. Regani yeah. draw. it would have been a hell of a catch, but we've seen him make that catch. And then Williams drop on the swing pass, he's going to score on that too. So yeah. there were the offense was on, there. There were points left out on the field, and that has to bode well, because I can't remember a lot of games where points were left out on the field last year. Everything just looked so freaking hard all the time. Yesterday, or Saturday, when they sputtered, it just looked like, you know, oh, somebody missed an assignment or a little bit of bad luck or a drop pass. Last year, at last season, it actually looked like they just didn't know what the hell they were doing on offense. And so, you know, I, I'm just not ready to panic yet. I mean, it, it just seems silly to me. And, you know, I know we're stepping up in competition next week, but how much, really? I mean, this is not one of your better on paper, Iowa State teams, you know, and they they got hit by this whole gambling investigation even harder than Iowa. So, you know, pivoting kind of to to the, you know, Cyclone game, uh, El Asico, as some call it. <laughs> what are you seeing coming this week from the Cyclones, Joel? You're a little more dialed in to, to that side of the state than I am. Are, are they any good? Are they a threat? I think they're going to be good as long as Matt Campbell is the coach in this game. Now, I know he doesn't have a stellar record against Iowa, but it's always close. You know, it's going to be, you know, a sellout crowd, and that stadium has been improved. Uh, the fan base is a good fan base. Um, I just don't know that J.J. Cole has ever seen the likes of a YA Black and an Aaron Graves and a Deontay Craig coming down the barrel. And if and and so they're relying on true freshman quarterback potentially and true freshman running back. You know, Abu Sama and JJ Cole were playing in the dome last year. They weren't playing, yeah. you know, against a Big Ten defense or a top 15 ranked national defense. So I'm an Iowa fan and I'm always nervous going into going into Ames because ever since I watched Grant Steen fumble an interception that would have locked the game down in the late November of 2002, I just have Ames makes me nervous because weird stuff happens in that Bermuda triangle of a, of a, of a place. So five wins in a row there though. That's true. In a row. I am encouraged. I am encouraged though, by some of the other things statistically, Iowa last year averaged less than 28% on third down conversions and they converted over 35% on third down. And so if they, if they can continue to convert those and not get to the fourth down, I I'm really optimistic. I think that the mistake that, that we saw a lot of hurt and longs Joel, because yeah. they were not doing great on first down, which to me was one of their biggest weaknesses Saturday was. And I, th and know. I think that was by design. I think they were trying to, to throw the ball more on first down yeah. to break tendency and create some, create some tendency breakage on film. Um, I think that's a huge part of week one is you got to work on some things that maybe you've been struggling with in practice and also get things on film. 
Uh, I also think the mistakes we saw up front for Iowa were not the physical mistakes that we saw last year of being overpowered and not being able to move a guy. They were some mental mistakes. And I think some of that's Eric all was playing almost like an H back type role where he was kind of in the backfield as a fullback and he's a more than capable blocker. And I think that those things are going to, going to fix. Remember folks, when you're watching this game, we don't know what the call is. We don't know what's supposed to happen. Pro football focus, believe it or not, has no effing clue about what is supposed to happen. Their grades are based off of what they think is the call and what they think that these grades at, these guys grade at. We might grade something as a fan base as an F and for for a, a right guard, maybe I missed the block, but really what Coach Barnett, Coach Ferentz are looking at is that was a miss by a tight end or it was a miss by the center. So we don't know. And so just trust the process and i know iowa fans are sick of hearing people tell them to trust the process but it's really all we can do it's jesus take the wheel at this point and and uh, well you know the running game does still concern me because you know as you and i talked about last week you know we all both think caleb johnson is a, a special kind of back and it would just you know we both remember seeing iowa just mall people and open big holes and they're not doing that and yeah maybe they're trying to work on some things or not but you know i i think next week is going to be a really interesting eye opener in terms of whether the offensive line is significantly improved or just marginally improved i mean the good news is they're improved i mean the pass blocking alone is worth like saying several hallelujahs over because night and day from last year Run blocking, still a work in progress. But to your point, and the other thing, you know, again, Tuesday, we're recording on Tuesday, so we had the Kirk Ferentz press conference. I was a little bit shocked at how effusive his praise for the offensive line play was at his press conference. And, you know, we've we've watched Coach Ferentz enough years. He's not a smoke blower. So (laughs) unless he's, like, getting diluted at his own age, he seems like he feels pretty good about where they're headed. I, I feel pretty good about it too. I mean, some of the things Utah State was doing is they were selling out. And yeah. if Iowa State sells out, I think Iowa's going to be able to throw the ball because they're going to want to throw the ball. I think this yeah. is the opponent that they're going to want to put 45 on. This this yeah. could be... And the other thing is is Deacon Hill, I think, is just as, is, is skilled too. So if Cade goes down, I don't think it's a Chicken Little situation. Um Jazz Patterson was impressive to me catching the ball out of the backfield. I think that there's yeah. some there's some ways to run the ball without running the ball, if you yep. will. Getting that kid in open space is an exciting, exciting prospect. I and they he's, put a he's lot, electric. They put a lot of tight end screens on film on on Saturday too. Yep. So that's gonna hold the linebackers maybe a little bit at bay in the pass rush with this three three five that Iowa State runs. Um I, I I've been around Iowa sports long enough and the game of football long enough to know that Iowa doesn't do anything half cocked. So whatever they did, there was a reason for it. And the other thing I know too, from being around those guys from the clinic environment is if they're screwing something up, Phil Parker's telling them to, to stop doing that. You're screwing that up. Like there, there's no shyness in that staff to talk to each other to to help the collective so 
I, I did you did you have any uh, concerns about what you saw in defense? How did how did you think the new linebackers did? I thought they did just fine. I know there was something about Nick Jackson having a rough day. That's BS. That guy played fine. Is he Jack Campbell? Nope. Did he get beat on a couple passes down the seam? Yep. What did Phil Parker do? He adjusted. They 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 got him out of that conflict. And Sebastian Castro, or I like to call him Sebastian Castro, because uh, that guy at the cash position made some money on Saturday. He he played lights out. I know he got beat on one play, but nobody's perfect. Um, I was really impressed with Deshaun Lee, the yes. corner who played, who had his first career interception wiped off by the Ethan Herquette offsides penalty. Yeah. Uh, How so- how spoiled are we, Joel, that we get to be excited about freshman cornerbacks almost every year? I mean, Phil Parker just keeps these dudes coming in, and then they they get thrown to the wolves, and then they all they do is perform. I loved that comment by Kirk this morning about his recruitment where he said, you know, it, it's, he's a Phil guy, which means he's from Michigan and, and we don't know much about it. Phil, we <laughs> yes. don't, we don't, Phil doesn't tell us anything and we offer him late because he doesn't want other people to, to get wise yeah. to the kid. Like you just that, had to trust him. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's, you just, it, the, the mythology that is Phil Parker uh, <laughs> is so interesting to me. And I would love to see somebody make a documentary about it. Um, cause the guy just rides his bike around Iowa city and coaches elite defensive backs is yes. just, he just takes two star, three star kids from places in Michigan that nobody's ever heard of and just puts them into 10 to 12 year NFL careers. Yep. And yeah, it's a beautiful that changes young men's lives. Speaking of changing young men's lives, uh, our guest today is a really good one and we should take a break so that we can bring in, bring in our guest. And welcome back to the 12 Saturday 12 Saturdays 2.0 podcast. I'm Joel Krausar along with my co-host Tori Torby, Tori Brecht, as we are here to bring in our special guest feature for uh this week. And again, we, we're trying to you know have this more cerebral approach to the to the Iowa, Iowa State rivalry this week. I'm sure you can listen to podcasts all week long and hear all of your favorite Cyclone and Hawkeye jokes and all of the razzing that goes back and forth between the fan bases. Um, However, I thought it'd be interesting to bring on uh, a high school coach, you know, who has had, who has to work with these two coaching staffs on a regular basis. Um, And weirdly enough, Humboldt, Iowa has kind of become this weird epicenter of the Iowa, Iowa state rivalry, Iowa state wrestling coach, Kevin Dresser is a Humboldt native. So Iowa state had a wrestling duel there a couple years ago. Uh, Dallas Clark set up the NIL slow pitch softball game between Iowa state and Iowa, and they held that in Humboldt. So I thought what better way than to bring in a guy who for the last five years has manned the helm as the head coach at Humboldt high school. He's got players on both rosters currently he's had players go through both programs and was in the state semifinals last year with the with the wildcats and has won 68 percent of his games as the head coach i know that derek's not gonna come out and say that but we're, we're really excited to welcome head coach of humboldt high school and a longtime assistant at iowa falls so a guy who's got a lot of experience not very old but he's very experienced in iowa high school head coach of humboldt high school derek element derek thanks for coming on tonight 
Yeah, thanks for having me on. This is the first time I've been on a podcast, so I'm looking forward to having some fun tonight. Well, I'm glad that we could be your first. <laughs> well, welcome to 2023. Like 50% of the people you meet have a podcast now. So. That's right. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you're on Derek, because you've been around, you've been around multiple parts of the state, you know, really kind of along that, that highway 20 corridor. But, um, one thing that I think people don't realize is really coaches in the state can't be fans anymore. Now I know you grew up in Buffalo center and you, I, I think you kind of maybe leaned more towards the black and gold growing up, but, uh, maybe I'm wrong there, but, uh, it's one of those things where it goes away once you start having kids that you're trying to guide them down the path. So what has been your experience kind of as, as you've grown with the recruiting process with coaches, not just the Iowa state coaches, but just coaches in general. Well, I think the first thing you have to do is you, you want it, you want to celebrate the success your kids have. And that doesn't matter, you know, who walks in that door. If the college coach walks in, you want to make sure that your kids have the best opportunities uh, available and you want to make sure to get them to the highest level uh, to play, of playing football that you can. And whether that was as an assistant at Iowa Falls um, or here at Humboldt, you know, I've always, you know, took pride in helping kids get to the next level. Right after my first year um, in Iowa Falls, one of the one of the guys on our team was a highly successful wide receiver, um, and Morningside was one of those teams that he was looking at. You know, so I did everything I could to to try to push him toward. Um, Morningside, he ended up going there. Um, he ended up having some issues with injuries. I think you might have been on the staff when he was there. Uh, Seth Hassenwinkel was his name. Yep. And, yep. And it was his he, freshman year. Uh, yep. And and you know, so so it was. It's really about getting guys to the right spot, helping them find the right fit, helping them find that family atmosphere. Because um, because once you once you hit the ground running in college, you know it's four or five years of nonstop football. Um, no matter if it's uh, if it's if it's uh, no matter that you, whether or not you're going to school or not, you know you're really dialed in and focused on football, and that's at any level. Um, and and any guy will tell you that that played doesn't matter what level it is. Like I said, D two, D three, um, or Division one. Um, so so you just want to make sure guys have the right fit, find the right fit. So I'm sort of the non-football expert of this podcast, Derek. Um, <laughs> but so I'm just curious as kind of a, just a fan perspective, how soon can you usually tell if a kid has it like D one level it? Like if obviously like a Cooper DeGene or somebody like that, yeah. it's going to jump off the page, but at, at your level of, of high school, what, what are some of the telltale signs that a guy's going to be a D one prospect? You know, I think I think the, the biggest thing is is measurables and and anymore. I mean, if if you look at at who plays on Saturdays, um, you know, they didn't take six foot two, two hundred and seventy pound guys like me. You know, they took they took they like they look for guys that are six four, six five and above, long arms, as offensive linemen, um, big hips. I mean, they they definitely look at that stuff. Uh, they, on film, they're not looking at a guy who might just dominate every block. It's about how how they move their feet. Um, as a skill player, I mean, you really have to show something, you know, bigger than and better than everybody else. Um, you know, and I, and I just think of some of the guys that we have right now playing at a high level. Um, you know, we have an offensive lineman at Northern Iowa um, who's six seven, um, and he's and he's. 285, 290 pounds. Um, we have a defensive lineman um, at uh, South Dakota who, who's in his first year there this year. 
and he's a six foot five, 260 pound kid with really long gangly arms. And he just, he, he does so many good things once he comes off the ball. Um, and those are the things that guys are looking at. We have uh, a guy who plays a lot of special teams at Iowa, Jameson Hines, uh, who currently is injured. Um, but he had so much wiggle as a high school football player. I coached him his last two years uh, here at Humboldt, my first two. And, you know, he was a guy that, that on a two and seven team still had 1300 yards rushing. So he just, there's that difference. And, and, you know, he had, I want to say in his career, seven kickoff and punt returns for touchdowns and and he had multiple interceptions. And so he just, he he was kind of a do everything type kid. Um, And then, one of the more recently got recent guys is Caden Matson. He's a walk-on at Iowa State. Um, Caden Caden had uh, the fourth best season in Iowa high school football history for all-purpose yards as a quarterback. Um, you know, between <clears throat> between rushing and passing, uh, you know, I can't remember the exact number, but I want to say you know it's you know forty-five hundred close forty-five hundred yards, something like that. And, and he just, you know, he was, it's guys that are definitely dominant at the high school level. Now, once they get to college, every single one of those guys is the best player from their high school team, you know, so it doesn't matter what they think they are. The guy next to him is going to be exactly the same. And every college has, you know, seven, eight, nine guys deep at each position, just waiting for the guy in front of them to make a mistake. So I'd say more than anything, it's those intangibles. And then you have to have just an attitude that, that you're going to go to work and, and there's going to be days that really are tough that suck. And you got to be able to fight through those days. And I was talking with one of our former players who's, who's currently injured uh, right now, the guy at South Dakota. And he just, it's, it's frustrating for him because he had done a really nice job in camp and then sustained an injury about a week ago. And he goes from a guy who'd worked up into that second and third string uh, on the depth chart and now all of a sudden he's, he's looking at having a red shirt. So, so definitely you have to be able to fight through that mentally. So you have to have kids that are also mentally tough. And then the big schools, you know, believe it or not, they do look for, I mean, there's athletes that go that might not have a great GPA, but one of the first things the schools in Iowa especially ask is what's their GPA. Cause if they're smart in school, there's a really good chance they're going to be smart on the field. Um, and so they're looking for guys, especially defensive players that are high IQ guys because they know they're going to absorb that playbook really, really well and be able to do a lot of things out on the field. Um, they're going to become very reactionary because they don't have to think what their role is in, in the defense and in, in the grand scheme of things. Um, they just go. So they want guys that are smart too. You mentioned guys that are smart. You mentioned, so I tried to go without, you know, being super obvious. Derek and I went to college together. He's a year older than me. Um, and I spent some time on staff at the school where Derek played. And I remember going to an American football coaches association meeting long, long time ago. And another young coach was sitting in a meeting when I was in, and we were talking a little bit uh, back and forth. He was at a division three school in Ohio, Mount union. And uh, it turns out that that young coach that I would hang out with at these meetings is Matt Campbell, the head coach at Iowa mm-hmm. state. So you talk about smart. Matt was obviously always a smart guy. He's kind of a, a bright up and comer. Now he's, now he's considered mm-hmm. a grizzled veteran in the profession, but what are some things that maybe Iowa fans who only hear Matt talk um, in the, in, you know, in the press or on his Tuesday press conference or Monday press conference, what are some things as a high school coach that you really see as a positive uh, in Ames with Matt Campbell, you know it's 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 little things that you wouldn't maybe realize, but 
Um, two years ago, I was lucky enough to be selected as a regional coach of the year in Iowa. And part of that was being introduced in front of everybody, which is, isn't enjoyable. Don't get you know, I don't like walking in front of everybody, but Matt Campbell was one of the guys who presented and, and, you know, handed out awards, shook hands, blah, blah, blah. So it looks like it's all fancy. And, you know, you look like, Oh, one of the division coach, one coaches and I was doing this. But what I loved about Matt Campbell is he made a point to talk to every coach that walked across this stage and whether or not he did it on purpose, whether or not it's just his personality, I don't know. But when I walked across the stage, one of the coolest things was um, he was at one of our games because he does live in Gilbert. Um, and we played Gilbert at Gilbert two years ago. And he was at one of the games and he made a point to tell me things that he liked about what we did on offense. And, and that presentation was in March and the game we played obviously was back at into September, early October. So it was something that he remembered. <clears throat> now we also have an Iowa state. We have some strong Iowa, Iowa state support here in Humboldt. Um, we actually have RVTV coming on Friday or Thursday from WHO. And it's, it's darn near every other year that they come to Humboldt just because it's such a, such a town divided, you know, and one of the guys though, from Iowa state, guy by the name of Ryan Harcroft, who does their sideline reporting right now. And everything that, that I just told you about Matt, Ryan talks about all the time about the kind of person he is. He's big time attention to detail guy. Um, if he, if he, if he's going to meet somebody, he wants to know something about them, which is, which is really cool. I think um, he's also a guy that if you go up to and talk to at a clinic, he, he will sit and talk to you. He's not above anybody. And I think that between him and coach Ferentz, both of those guys are people that are going to make sure that they remember you. I mean, coach Ferentz is another one, you know, I met him multiple times, but he remembers my name and, you know, he doesn't have any reason from Humboldt but he makes a point to remember people. And I think that's something special about the people we have in the state of Iowa. They remember you. They want to make, they want to show that you're important to them <clears throat> because those, excuse me, I don't know if you saw the list today, but I think, I think Hawkeye football put it out on Twitter, but the amount of, no, it wasn't Hawkeye football. I don't know who it was because it had both teams, but the amount of players from in state in this, in this game is, is crazy i don't i wonder if any other state that has two division one schools has that many players from their state playing in the game i think that both of these guys want to recruit iowa they want to recruit iowa hard they want to win the recruiting battle in iowa and both of them you know they hit the ground running as soon as recruiting season starts I, well you I know to... and i i i read some of uh Kirk Ferentz's press conference comments today. And you can kind of read between the lines when he respects a coach and when he doesn't. And you can tell he has tremendous respect for Matt Campbell and the Iowa State program, and which he should, you know, and, and so it's a wonderful thing. Um, I'd be a little curious from your perspective as a coach, Derek, about uh, if, how the two schools might differ a little bit in their recruiting approach uh, when, when, they, when an assistant comes in or even the head to come and talk to you or some of your guys. Um, what do you see as... as maybe either similarities or differences in the, uh, in the approach that they take. You know, they're both very business-like um, in, in how the guys come into the building. You know, we've had coach Manning before he was uh, let go last year. He was a guy who came and recruited our area and he was the offensive coordinator for Iowa state. So a guy like him being a guy who recruits an area shows that, you know, he wants to go out and find the best talent. Um, I truly believe, you know, and, and Joel, I am an Iowa fan, and I will admit that I love the Hawkeyes more, you know, just as much as the next guy, but I do truly believe one of the best recruiters we're lucky enough to have in our school, and I get to talk to him twice a year, and that's LeVar Woods. 
that guy could recruit anybody. I'm telling you, like, he is an amazing recruiter. He's an amazing human being. Um, <clears throat> Dallas lives around here, and every time LeVar comes, him and Dallas sit and talk. And, and so to hear stories, you know, sometimes I'm lucky enough to be around when those two are talking. So to sit and hear stories about Iowa is really cool, in my opinion. But, again, like, our, our, the Iowa State guys are the exact same way. They're down-to-earth guys. They want to recruit great kids. They don't, you know, football players isn't always first to them. They want to make sure they get first first class kids. And, you know, I think even it's hard for us Iowa fans to admit, but Kirk Ferentz and Matt Campbell, you know, we got to realize they are one and the same type of person. They recruit great kids. They take, they take talent um, and turn it into something way better, raw talent, turn it into something way better through developmental football, um, which, you know, as high school coaches, I think we need to emulate more. We need to figure out who great, you know, hardworking eighth grade and ninth grade kids are and do everything we can to help them reach their full potential by the time they're seniors in high school. Because, you know, one of the big differences for us is, is we don't get to go pick our kids. We have to take what we have. You know, and that's, as a high school coach, that's what we try really, really hard. I mean, tomorrow morning I get to get up early and we're going to go have weight sessions for our 7th and 8th grade kids because we want to try to get those kids developed and help them reach their full potential by the time they graduate high school. I just think there's a lot of kids right now at Iowa, Iowa State, and you and I too. You and I does a great job of developing talent. All those schools really work to try to find those diamond in the rough type kids. And, and look at look at what I was I was done for years under Coach Ferentz. And then look at I, I really think Matt Campbell's starting to do the same the same exact thing at Iowa State, where some of those kids that are two and three stars turn into phenomenal players in their program and, and make it to the league and do really really good things there. I'm looking at that list. It was Varsity Bound who published that list today, Derek. <laughs> On that list, there are five schools that have a player on both rosters, and there's only one that's below the 4A classification, and that's Humboldt. You're the only school below mm-hmm. Class 4A or 5A that has somebody on both rosters. So that's that's impressive right there. Yep. And, and I keep in touch with both of those guys. Um, I love those kids that they're great kids. And, and I think they represent exactly what those programs stand for. Um, another one that probably both guys wouldn't like to hear, but you could probably flip either one of them and they, they, they do the exact same thing for the other program. And I think that's a lot to tell about what types of kids are at both schools. Is there kids that would fit the same mold at Iowa if they're an Iowa State guy and vice versa? And again, they probably hate hearing me say that, especially during this week of the year, you know, but it's true. I mean, a lot of those kids are developmental kids that work really, really hard to get to where they are. How would how do you talk to kids about the opportunity to walk on versus maybe taking a partial scholarship to uh, you, you know the place that you also spent some time Waldorf you know there's lots of places to play in our state and you guys are close to the mm-hmm. Minnesota South Dakota border as well um, how do you counsel a kid as a as a high school coach with their families how how, how do you talk to families about options. You know, I think the biggest thing is is they have to, in the end, they have to do what they think is best for them. And now I might not agree with that, but they have to do what they think is best for them, and I'm going to help them get there. And I think Jameson's one of those kids, and Caden both. Both those guys had scholarships at, at Division II, opportunities at 1AA, um, a lot of opportunities at, at D3s and NAIAs. But to them, they wanted to see what they could do at the highest level possible. And with those guys both having the opportunity to walk on, 
they were going to take that, um, you know, and, and I just think that what you have to do then, if that's what they want to do is you have to help them become the best version of themselves that they can rolling into camp, help them facilitate their, their lifting, you know, guide them in their, uh, their speed training, help them, you know, if they don't understand things in the workout that they get sent, help them with that. So it's just helping them in any way possible. And then talking to their parents the same way. Like when you guys, you know, for example, when they're sitting down at the table and talking as a family, what they think's best, you know, they've got to be be able to look at both sides and really weigh both options, and in the end, pick what they think is best. So, you know, in our our first podcast of the year, uh, we kind of went hard on uh, some of the problems in youth sports. And I'd be interested in your perspective, Derek, that I think what, one of the things I love about these kids that come from smaller schools like Humboldt is that you get a guy that was the captain of the basketball team and he was the quarterback of the football team and then he played shortstop on the baseball team and he wrestled. You know, I live in Bettendorf and I see so much now at like the big 4A schools, Bettendorf, PV, on this part of the state, of course, your valleys, whatever, out in Des Moines, that parents are having kids specialize but i don't i don't know that that actually is the best thing for kids where where do you stand on this whole playing extra sports and do it do you want your football players to be out there playing other sports yeah i want them to compete at a high level and i think here humble another thing that we do really that's really good is our kids lift year round um whether it's in sports or out of sports all of our guys sports are on the same page as far as strength training goes so they're going to do a very similar workout in the, in the basketball and wrestling season that they did in the football season where they're going to base it on similar movements. Now, they might do different variations of that squat movement or different variations of that press movement or explosive movement, but everything's going to be based on what they learned in junior high, and it's going to be at a higher level when they get to the offseason. Now, we have, we have a ton of kids that play two and three sports, and, and I think right now, um, he, you know, you were describing about four kids on, on my football team last year. We had 21 seniors, and of those 21, I want to say something like 15 of them played three sports. Wow. Um, you know, and I think that that also last year, like last year, I had kids that were in football, basketball, and soccer, and they were we made it to the dome two years in a row for football. They made it in bas- state basketball, and then um, two years in a row in soccer. So those kids had been a part of five trophies of making it to state um you know and then we have we, our wrestling program last year made it to state duels um so our, our conference our baseball team just won the conference last year and a lot of those kids are the same kids that play multiple sports and i really think that you know part of it is they learned they learn this love for each other and they're going out because you know maybe football is their favorite sport but they go out for basketball because their buddy's favorite sports basketball and they want to go hang out with the baseball team because they have fun together. You know, and our school does, you know, some weird thing where they vote for the, the player. Player that I can't remember what they gave away donuts or something. I don't know. They gave some sort of a food item away for the player of the game. And they had fun with stuff like that, you know, and, and you do find that genuine love for each other and playing hard for each other, playing hard with each other in small towns, towns similar to our size. You know, I'd say up, up here in Northern Iowa, we got a ton of kids in, in, you know, in schools like Humboldt, a ton of kids that play multiple sports. You know, Tyler Mansky, uh, uh, the Mansky kid up at Algona right now is being recruited by everybody. And he, uh, he's, a, he's a basketball guy, baseball guy, runs track. You know, so, so you can see that he's successful across the board in all sports. Same with the Limbaugh kid who's being highly recruited from Algona as well. You know, and, and those guys play multiple sports. And I think that 
the more you do Cooper to Gene, look what he did yeah. you know, when he was in high school. That dunk video of his is unreal. <laughs> How many guys do you see with a dunk like you right. do in basketball that that uh, didn't play college basketball? Right. You know, so I think I think there's more more and more kids seeing the value of it, and I think that that's one thing that sometimes I wish the the big city kids, because I have relatives and friends that live in big cities, and and they do focus on one, maybe two sports when they're young, and that's it. And I feel bad for the kids because I just think they're missing out on opportunities. Well, and learning how to win, right? I mean, we look at our friends over in Nebraska, their football program, you can see they don't know how to win those close games yet. And, you know, if you Mm -hmm. can do it in multiple sports, then you kind of build that winning attitude. And I think it it just builds upon itself. So kudos to Mm -hmm. Humboldt. I think that's great. Yep. So about 90% of people who listen to our podcast are probably Hawkeye fans. It's probably a higher percentage Mm -hmm. than that. Um, But what would you get? What, what's what's something that you would say to them who maybe they don't study football as closely as you do? And you may not get to watch the Hawkeye games as intently as you used to because you're doing game prep on Saturdays and getting guys lifted out and getting the you know lactic acid through their muscles on Saturday morning so they're ready to go on Monday. But for the people who are paranoid about only scoring 24 points in a game, do you, do you have an opinion on, on how you think Iowa's state of the union is as a high school coach? What's your gut feeling on, you mentioned LeVar Woods. I think he's the next head coach at Iowa. That's who I would like to see the little guy from Larchwood find his way to the head job Mm -hmm. there at Iowa. But what, what's something you would say as someone who's around these coaches tangentially, you know, throughout the year, what would you say about the state of Iowa football? Well, first of all, I'm going to give a little, not a plug, but like, I don't believe in Saturday practice. Saturdays are for the kids to enjoy family time. If they want to go hang out, because we have a lot of kids that go to Iowa and Iowa state games and have season tickets. And I I feel like at some point we got to give a little bit to these kids so that they can feel like, you know, they have some time to themselves as well. Because when it comes to, when it comes to, um, the school year, they are so busy. I mean, we got high school kids that lift in the morning, go to school all day, go to practice at night, and, you know, then they might try to go watch their friends play a game and still have to find time for homework. So we give them Saturday and Sunday completely off. Um, we send messages, you know, we use Remind, and we send messages like watch film, do this, and we check film, and we tell them, we, you show them we check film. Um, but I, I do believe that you do have to give. And, and sometimes just because you can doesn't mean you should. And so just because you can do things on Saturdays, I don't feel like you should. So anyway, that's my plug for that. Well, hey, um, first of all, I'm sold. I'm moving to Humboldt someday, and I'm going to come volunteer coach for you because that's that's the kind of coach I want to work for. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, we. Uh, I was actually at the game Saturday um, and, and was hanging out watching the game. And, and I one thing that I loved was the progressions McNamara went through as he, as he as he looked down the field, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to throw it to this guy, and I'm going to stare at him, and then I'm going to throw the ball. It was like, look here, look here, look down, throw. And some of, his, some of his third checks were the deep ball, and some of those deep balls were thrown really, really well, you know, really well into single coverage, you know, and then some of the balls that were delivered into double coverage were thrown where they needed to be, which should be over and away from the player. Um, that touchdown pass that he threw, the first touchdown pass he threw was beautiful. 
you know, and it was all based on what he read. And I just think that, you know, Hawkeye fans need to to be a little bit patient with this guy. Cause I think that he really is good. I was just, you know, I read the stuff too, the blogs and the, you know, the Facebook posts and Twitter posts and stuff like that. And there's just, there's, don't be crazy. Don't be a crazy fan, especially if you're, if you're watching football as a fan, you don't realize that some of the stuff that they're doing is because they're trying to set things up and they're trying to show things on film or they're trying not to show things on film. Two and a half quarters through that game or two quarters through that game, Iowa wasn't going to lose. So why should they go away from and do things that make them score points when in reality they had the game won? So Iowa State gets to see a small sample of what Iowa wants to do, you know, and I, I, I just, I'm a firm believer in, in, unless you want to get it on film to make them practice it, don't put it on film, you know, cause there's, there's two, two, two uh, ways to think of it. Like, so, so as a high school coach, we're like, you know what, we're going to, we're going to practice this because we think we could be good at it, but we also want the defense to have to prepare for it. Now the defensive coordinator has to spend 15 minutes of every practice wasted on a formation that you might only use three times. So there's that way. Then there's the, well, we're already going to win. Why should we worry about putting it on film? Because then they don't prepare for it. And we're going to show up and do it. And they're going to have to prepare on the fly. They're going to have to make adjustments on the fly, which might not happen until they get in at halftime and can really sit down and talk and draw stuff up. So, so there's two ways to think of it there. And I thought Iowa decided to take the second one in that there's no way Utah State's going to win. You know, Kudos to Utah State for getting a touchdown late. They weren't going to win. So why worry about putting things out there that you don't need to put put out there? Yeah, I mean, one of the controversial things I, I uh, had mentioned that I got a little pushback on, but I stand by it, is after you watched that first quarter, if Iowa had decided to go hyper-aggressive in the passing game, the way they were blocking, they could have probably put up 300 yards and 30 points if they really, really wanted to. But to your point, Anybody who's watched Coach Ferentz coach for the last 20 years knows he loves a boy constrictor game. He's going to get mm-hmm. that two-digit lead on you, double-digit lead, and then he's just going to slow everything down and just choke you out and just just draw the life out of you. And that's exactly what they did. And I, for one, think that's a beautiful thing to watch in football. But like we mentioned earlier, I'm old. <laughs> yeah, well. So but I, then, you know, 300 because- yards, 30 points, if they really wanted to, Derek, they could have done I, it. I, I 100% agree. So you also talked about things being on film and to the run game perspective. I kind of said this earlier in my introduction, you have to challenge your guys who are inexperienced. You have to get some of their mistakes on tape so you can teach. You can't teach if there's no tape. And so it's really important for that. It's, I, I think that that's, the further I get away from the sideline, whether it's coaching or even in the media, the, the, the more I realize that, there's a lot of folks who they haven't been around the game past that senior year of high school and the evolution of it has changed a lot as far as how technology and how teaching goes. And at that level that we're talking big 10 power five football, the resources are endless and the information is endless. And you guys have endless information almost at the high school level yeah. there. Well, and I think that's, you know, you bring up a great point in my first year of coaching. I actually drove to <clears throat> drove to, I got to think here. Uh, it, it's halfway. It's, it's a truck stop right on I 35 um, drove to that truck stop. It's, it's on highway three and 35. when I was working at Iowa falls 
and met Clear Lake's football coach and handed him a DVD. And he handed me a DVD back, and, and that was how we exchanged film. And it was just the only reason I had to do it because our head coach was busy that day. Listen, you um, tell Gary McElmurray he needs to get in and get his butt to that truck stop. <laughs> he, classmate of my father in high school. Really? My, my parents went to high school with Coach Mack. Well, that's cool. Um, but, yeah, like that's that's how far it's, it's evolved. And now, I, you know, Saturday morning or Friday night usually is when it is. I upload our film in the huddle and actually we have a camera on our on our press box and it just says it's uploaded i don't have to do anything except just make sure that the timer's set for it to go off and then all i have to do is put it in the pool and once it's in the pool i can look at anybody's film across the state of iowa you know anybody's film once they upload it but that's the expectation is that every coach in the state of iowa uses huddle um, and wild. then what's, what's also crazy is huddle huddle has a huddle assist and they now break down your whole film for you. Um, and that usually takes about 12 hours or so. So, um, on the way to Iowa city, I got my email from huddle assist saying my plate, my, my film was broke down from Friday night and, and on there, it tells you down and distance. It tells you field, it tells you where you are. Um, and then all you can do, <laughs> what makes life even crazier is you go in and just put the number of who threw the ball and caught the ball, put the number of who rushed the ball, and it'll it'll do all your stats for you. So, I mean, there's just so many things that, that we can use Huddle for today um, compared to now, it's like any technology, it's great when it works, and then when it doesn't work, it feels like the world just shut down, you know, but but it's it's amazing how, you know, I don't have to have a book. We have a, a, I have two volunteers who sit in the stands with an iPad and hit the number of who ran the ball, how many yards they got. And, and life is just so much easier for them when it used to be this big gigantic book. And then you had to go, you know, figure out what the chicken scratches meant from the person who was filling it out. So it's changed a ton. And, and you know, if it's like that for us, I can't even imagine what it's like at the college level. Yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough for someone who's never done a podcast before. You're pretty comfortable <laughs> doing this. Yeah. And, and I yeah, appreciate you. And, and I think it is good for everyone to hear the high school football coach is one of the few high school coaches that are still truly valuable to the college process. Um, and every other sport that's become your travel ball, baseball coach, your AAU basketball coach, even club wrestling has really taken, taken its hold in the recruiting process. You look at this, the young guns program out in Pennsylvania, like Spencer Lee and those guys all came out of high school coaches are important in those sports, but they don't, seem to be the first point of contact like they still are in football and it's get, great to get that perspective of these two programs iowa state and iowa from your perspective having worked with both so i really appreciate you sharing that with us someday let's do a podcast on travel ball and how we need to not have seven on seven in the spring i think that'd be a good one <laughs> so so julian vandervelde who was our first guest is in for that conversation as well because i've had that conversation <laughs> with him Derek, you and I have, we, we thought we were going to see each other at the state 12 U baseball tournament than mm-hmm. because our boys are the same age and you guys were smart and said, you know, we're not, we're going to not gonna play baseball in July. And the team I coached, we played till the end of July and it was dumb. Um, the, but it's the smartest thing we did is decide we're not going to play any further. Now our kids are only going to play middle school baseball next year. And then the following year's eighth graders, they'll play high school ball. And I, I think, you know, I, I was very thankful that the parents that I, that I, work with or that my kid plays with or whatever, you know, they're in the same boat as I am because I, I think baseball is outrageous right now. 
the amount of games they're asking 12 year old kids to play is crazy. And the fact that, you know, you, uh, the, the, the entity that runs the youth baseball, the amount of money they make right now, it's ridiculous. And that just goes to show that they're, it's, it's not for these kids to get better. Cause if they truly cared about kids, they wouldn't have spring ball, fall, summer ball, fall ball. They wouldn't do that because that's not what's best for kids. And there is a lot of research out there that shows that kids that are playing a single sport year round are dealing with injuries and dealing with, with problems um, that, they never would deal with if they would play multiple sports. And I'm obviously I'm a huge advocate for football, but it doesn't mean you just have to play, you know, football has to be one of them. They need to make sure that they, they play every sport, have fun with their friends when they're young. Cause they really do never know what they're going to be good at. Yep. Yeah. Be, be on the dance and be, you know, be in the show choir, be in the marching band, yep. do, do things that challenge your, your, your boundaries. And also you mentioned it earlier when you were talking about these kids who played that, that group of seniors that you had last year that played in all of those accomplished uh, sports, you, you know, your stud football player may not have been the number one scorer on the soccer team. He was a role player mm -hmm. possibly, or he, I mean, and to have kids be, you know, a leader in one sport and learn how to be a role player in another sport is such an invaluable part of the process as well. Yep. I had seven kids go try out to help with musical this year seven seniors that nice. wanted to try to help with musical and they said their fall play and they said i said oh man that's awesome you get involved in coach it's our senior year we got to try everything yeah and, and i, I kind of smiled a little bit and was like that's pretty cool that they want to go they're all none of them have a role they're all just going to be beside behind the scenes and it's like that's just going out there and having fun doing things for others you know um you know we we have uh, a bumper on bumper sticker on our helmet that says mad and it just means make a difference and i feel like those kids go out and they make a difference every day well, it's clear the culture at Humboldt, you know, across all sports is, is a solid one. And you guys are doing, I know you teach in the elementary school, so it's starting at the younger age to you, you've got your coaches around the entire district at every level. And that's, that's huge. It's why none of us who've known you as long as we have are shocked to see the success you guys are having there because you've had some great mentors along the way. I've had many of the same mentors and uh, it's, it's good to see um, in a state like us, I, I, the smaller towns, I think, are undervalued. As someone who grew up in a 4A community and then coached at the 1A and 2A level, I have a lot of friends who missed out. They, they don't know mm -hmm. how beneficial these smaller towns and the culture of the community is. And so it's, uh, mm -hmm. I'm glad you were the right person to bring on to have this conversation with. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks, Derek. Yep, nice to meet you. You too. Well, Derek was great. That was a really fun interview. Yeah, no, I was glad you you had him on, Joel. Um, we're heading into a, a interesting week for the Big Ten. So why don't we take a look at some of these Big Ten matchups this this week and uh, say what we think is going to happen, and then uh, we'll finish her off with our Iowa State iowa predictions so, right, what, so what are we looking at big 10 wise so i'm not going to do gambling lines because that's what everybody does let's just talk old school you say your water cooler pick of who's going to win the game all right illinois faces the mighty jayhawks of kansas i i <laughs> you said not to do gambling 
But without even knowing the line, I kind of am feeling like a Jayhawks cover on this. I think they could win because, you know, Illinois struggled with Toledo. But I, I think Kansas has something going out there. They did actually win their first game. What do you, what do you think? Uh, Lance Leopold's the best football coach that the average fan has no clue exists in this world. That guy, yeah. what he did at Wisconsin Whitewater is just unbelievable. And when Kansas hired him, I told all of my coworkers that Kansas is going to be relevant in football because of that guy. And they laughed at me. And then what does he do? He goes and has a really good year last year. So I, I, I think Illinois wins the game, but I think that that's a closer one that, than what maybe some people want to admit. Agreed. It's also at Kansas. So Kansas is a three point favorite. So dozens of fans will be in attendance. Dozens of fans will wander out of the Fog Allen field house. Uh, Minnesota uh, hosts Eastern Michigan. That'll be an easy win for the PJ. Living high off the hog after beating Nebraska. And that Illinois game, I think, is on. Oh, on Friday. That's a Friday night game. So that's a Friday that's right. game. So you've got PJ beating Eastern Michigan. I do too. I do. And and related, don't you think Eastern Michigan should change their name to the EMU Emus? There you go. What are they? I, the, I don't know. The Eagles. They're the Eagles. They're not the they? Emus, and they should be the Emus because they're, they're Emu Emus. And they could be sponsored by Liberty Mutual. There you go. Uh, We'll save the Nebraska one for the end, too. Uh, Northwestern hosts the Miners of UTEP. Man, they can't lose that, can they? <laughs> uh, I guess I'm going to go with Northwestern, like, I don't know, 13 to 9, maybe. Yeah, I think Northwestern loses that game. Really? <laughs> UTEP wins. I just, I just, yeah. I, I have no confidence. And then after seeing like Texas State throttle Baylor over the weekend, like yeah. I just who knows? Who knows yeah. anymore? So that I guess that would be my upset special. There you go. I like it. Even though I don't even know if it's an upset, because like I said, I don't have the lines in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, UTEP is a one and a half point favorite at Northwestern. Mm. So. I think there's too much Wildcat pride to let that happen, Joel. I don't. All right. So Purdue reeling after being defeated by Fresno State. They go to enter Sandman times and they go to Blacksburg and they have a their three-point underdogs against Virginia Tech. Oh, that's an ugly game. I think those are both two programs that have had brighter days behind them and are kind of struggling now, but I got to go with the home team on that one. I'm going with B-Tech. I think Purdue recovers and Hudson card finds a way and they, and they win. So Purdue, Purdue is where I think, I don't know that I, I think they at least cover. Maybe if I was a gambler, I would put them in the money line on that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we snug that into a parlay with the next game, which is the hapless, hopeless, where is their home going to be? Washington state Cougars against your Wisconsin Badgers. So I watched the first half of that Badger-Buffalo game and was not very impressed with the Badger coming out at their first game. Um, I think they win in Pullman, but I don't know that they're going to cover. 
They're six and a half point favorites, and I think that they cover it no problem. I think that's a three touchdown victory for the Badgers on Saturday. Their defense will score, and Braylon Edwards will go off. That's my – or not Braylon. Is it Braylon Edwards? No. Now, the, the running back, number zero. It's oh. Braylon something. Yeah. Braylon Edwards was the wide Allen, receiver. Braylon, Allen. Braylon right. Allen. Yep. Yes. Yes. I'm losing my, – my kids have ruined my brain. Tori, I don't. I used to have a categorical recall of all of these things. The question is: is which mascot is worse in this next game? The Hoosiers against the Fighting Sycamores of Indiana State, Week Two. Oh, the battle for friends is a longtime Indiana State fan and sufferer, and he actually wants them to get rid of their football program so they can concentrate on baseball. And I guess they're pretty good at some women's sport. I'm not sure which. And so um, they're pretty, they have some basketball history too. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, I was up a bit on a little guy named Larry Burt, um, the hick from Fred Lick. And yeah, no, I think that's going to be a nice bounce back for Indiana and they roll. I think so too. I think Indiana will win that game. <laughs> Maryland will host the Fighting Biff Pogies, the head coach of Charlotte, former Hawkeye father of... Um, yes. Uh, and was involved in the whole Rabdo situation. And if you want some entertainment, just Google Biff Pogi sideline. He wore like a cutoff footed sweatshirt. He looked like a total moron uh, <laughs> on the sideline. And yeah, so Maryland... Maryland. I, I like the Terps. Sure. I think, you know, the Terps, I think if they were not in the Big Ten East, they if they were like just still in the ACC, I think they'd actually be considered like a dark horse uh, conference contender. So, yeah, I like the Terps in that one. I do too. Well, I'm a Dolphins fan, so I'm I'm biased towards the Tua Vailoa, Tunga Vailoa family. So, Tua's, Tua's brother still the, the quarterback there for Maryland. Uh, Michigan. And the running rebels, UNLV, Michigan looked pretty good on yeah. Saturday. That's no, I mean Michigan me is a say. legitimate national title contender, as much as it pains me to say. But uh, yeah, they got it rolling, and uh, their UNLV is not going to get in their way. That's a speed bump. Thirty-five and a half, or thirty-six and a half point favorite are the Wolverines on Saturday. Yeah, you know, I was looking at that, and I was thinking I maybe would like to take UNLV just because you know. That's a big Maybe number. Harbaugh's not going to be an asshole, but you know, Harbaugh's still suspended. Oh, well. Hmm. Then Harbaugh's... I really then that's just a wild card. I don't even know what to do about that one. All right, so the next one is Michigan State against the Fighting Todd McShays, the Richmond Spiders. They have a football team. Yeah, they're a division. They're an FCS like power. They're really good. Okay. They've been good in the past. No, I, I seem to remember their basketball team for some reason, but I, yeah, they I would lock that out. But no, their football team I think plays in like the same conferences like Delaware and James Madison, <laughs> and I think they have a pretty good football tradition. Well, uh, I, that's I, where that's where Tom McShay played quarterback. I think State will win. Um, I don't know how good they'll look. Yeah, I think Michigan State wins that as well. Ohio State, after not looking spectacular against Indiana, uh, they don't have an easy FCS opponent coming in. Youngstown State comes into the horseshoe 
And uh, I think Ohio State wins this thing, but that's, that's are they not called the Penguins. Are they yeah, they are. Heck yeah, they're yeah. the Penguins. And is Bo Pelini still their coach? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. I, I don't know if Jim Trestle is still like the associate AD or the president of the college, but. I always kind of like Bo Pelini at Youngstown State. That was kind of fun, but I don't think uh, he's—I don't think he's still there. But the coach at Morningside, when I was there, the my freshman year, uh, Coach Elliott, who was Bump Elliott's nephew, was the wide receivers coach at Youngstown State for many years. Well, I think Ohio State's going to take out some of their frustration on the poor Penguins. I'm immediately regretting some of the shade I threw towards the young quarterback in Happy Valley after watching that game uh, the other night. Uh, the Penn State hosts the Blue Hens as the University of Delaware, and I think that that's going to go well for for Penn State. Little known fact, I think Delaware had the winged helmet before Michigan did. They did, and little known fact they have a quarterback who's one who started out at Penn state and then finished at Delaware and won two super bowls. And that is okay. one Joe Flacco started okay. his college career at Penn state and finished at Delaware. Well, it's a shame that neither of those facts are going to help them this Saturday because they're going to get steamrolled, but yeah, it's a nice story. What I, I, I told you, Greg Schiano is a good football coach. Maybe Rutgers isn't terrible. Yeah. They host the, the owls of temple on saturday <sighs> that's an interesting one so it's at Rutgers. i think i like Rutgers to to win that one uh temple can be kind of a thorn in people's sides every once in a while but uh that was I, when matt rule was their coach <laughs> they haven't been, they haven't been a, a thorn to, Rutgers is a nine and a half point favorite it's not that outrageous that but they'll cover Temple covers. That's your pick. No, 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 no. Rutgers, Rutgers covers. Okay. Yes. I love how I said we weren't going to do gambling like everybody else, but it's just well, easier I'm a to degenerate, do. Joel. You yeah. can't start throwing out games and not have me like. Speaking of degenerates, I got to be careful so I don't get canceled. Uh, Colorado, the the rivalry between the Cornhuskers and Colorado, and I I I'm intrigued by Colorado. I, I don't uh, like how Dion carries himself, but it has nothing to do with him being a black coach. Well, I mean, you like to have your coach have a little bit more humbleness in him in general. I mean, let's be honest. We all know that to become a division one head coach, you have to think you're the world's best coach and you're amazing and this and that. And you have to have a certain amount of arrogance, I think. I have no problem with his bravado. It's just like... But it's all about world, me, me, the, me, me. Look at me. The world isn't out to get him like he no. thinks it is. Yeah. He's a highly successful, highly skilled person. And he the smartest thing he did was hire the Kent State head coach, who I think is a fantastic offensive coordinator, to be his offensive coordinator. And it showed on Saturday. They played great. I don't know that TCU is as good as everybody thought they were with changing over 11 starters. Uh and, and they lost to the draft, but Nebraska, I think, is in for a world of hurt in Boulder, Colorado, on Saturday. Yeah. And you know who else liked to set up these like totally fake uh, us against the world scenarios, though? Michael Jordan, Hayden Fry. Oh, Hayden Fry. University of Iowa. He did, he was the master of that. I see a little bit of that in in uh, 
in uh, Dion as well. So that's kind of interesting. But um, but Hayden, you know, Hayden it, didn't come in and say, you got to call me by my nickname. Like he didn't like uh, you call me prime. Like I, that, that bothers me. Yeah, I don't know. know. But he, I mean, he did call the women of Iowa a little dumplings. So see, you know. I was like, <laughs> I was six months old when Hayden was hired as the football coach at the University of Iowa. So no, I, I have, I, I have nothing but the most amount of love for Hayden Fry, but he, he was a good old boy of good old boys. And there's the hot take. He like to tell a tall tale and make it out like the world was against him. So, you know, or, I, there's, I see a little bit of that in, in Dion. That's kind of interesting. So does Nebraska win? No, but, uh, I bet you they lose it in uh, one possession game though. <laughs> That's that would be just the fact though that they beat Iowa last year by one possession. Still, we don't want to talk about that. Chaps, that didn't nice. that, that should have never happened. That, 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 mm. I would the, all right. Last thought of the night is that the last game? Well, no, the, the Iowa game, but the, your hot take oh, yeah. of this podcast is that Hayden Fry and Deion Sanders are the same. So that's yes, that's exactly. <laughs> basically the same person no but here 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 is a thought that i had it's like you know i don't i actually totally forgot what i was gonna say you're gonna have to edit that out so i don't have to edit shit out <laughs> we, we changed topics and I, and I lost my mind my bad you're you're asking if that was the last thing of the, the podcast so we really yeah. just gotta get to these this iowa iowa state game and you know, I've said it before. I can't be financially and emotionally invested, so I for sure never vote on, never bet on this game. I also for sure stopped telling Iowa State jokes on my social media page because the last time I did that, <laughs> Iowa lost on the last second field goal. This was like uh, 10, 10 years ago. One of the one of the many. I just, I just, I just don't know how to feel about this game because I don't believe Iowa State's any good. But I don't know that Iowa is either. You know, it's such a weird game, Joel, because usually when you do like my heart says this and my head says this, your heart is the one saying that your team's going to win and your head says it's not. But this is like the opposite, right? My head says on paper, Iowa's the better team. We have a we have a quarterback that won a Big Ten championship. We have a top five to ten defense, probably. No doubt. Iowa State had more, is missing their starting quarterback, their best receiver, replacing a bunch of guys on defense. Iowa's returning a bunch of guys on defense. Headwise, this is probably a 10 point or better Iowa win. But my heart has been crushed so many freaking times by this game that my heart is like, nope, 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 nope. It's on the road, Iowa State. And yeah, I was won there five times in a row, and my heart is still saying this. So, you know, I guess That's... it's who do I believe. And I think I'm pretty smart, so I'm going with my health. So I'm going to say Iowa finds a way to win this game. Do uh, they cover but... the three and a half? Yes, I do. I think it's going to be like one of those ugly, like 20 to 13 kind of games, I think. This feels like Austin Arnaud throwing four picks. And Iowa's defense completely embarrassing J.J. Cole and making him question whether or not he made the right decision to go to the Big 12. Uh, I think Iowa wins 45 to 13. Oh, 
well, that'll that 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 will have the folks at the sickos committee uh, like scrambling to fill up their dumb little uh, Brian Ferentz thermometer. So that's good. Yeah, that's like 40... two games worth. Yeah, there you go. All right. And... Well, from your words to Hawkeye uh, heavens, gods, not Hawkeye heavens. We're not going to give it that that asshole any any pub on this podcast. <laughs> I'm at the the capital Hawkeye. Got it. See, isn't it bad that that never mind? I can't go down that rabbit hole. All right, that's it. Episode four in the books. Like, subscribe wherever you listen to on your podcasts, and we appreciate you. Go Hawks! Go Hawks!